expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Oh, it's so hard to believe we're at episode 60 of Down and Nerdy, and I wish that meant we are five years away from getting half-price tickets at the movies. Yeah, do you know what? The cool thing about that is that, well, actually not really the cool thing, but actually kind of the sad thing, is I used to work at a movie theater, and, you know, you had the senior tickets, and we literally have people like our age buy senior tickets because they're cheaper and try to pawn them off and try to get into movies like that. That's ridiculous. We'd never do that. I'm James with him alongside. The Merkle one-armed Nick Battaglia, who will try to do that one day. Well, you know, I do have more gray than you do as it stands right now, so I might be able to get away with it a little bit earlier. Yeah, that's true. Although, if I get carded at the movies trying to get a senior ticket, I'm going to really be, feel really bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was such a great week last week. You were finally there for Free Comic Book Day, so you got to see what all the fuss was about. Yeah, it was my first free comic book day. We did our live show over at Bob's at Fantascape Comics and Cards, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, going to turn out a lot of local artists on the show and you know talk about some of the free comics they gave out, you know, Secret Wars, Number Zero, and the Teenage Ninja Turtles, one from IDW and everything else. We talked about those, and it was really fun. You know, we had Fat Man on there. It was, it was hilarious. Uh, you know, for a first free comic book day, it was really everything I wanted and more. Of course, I went home after our live show and literally passed out for four hours. Oh, of course, yeah. If people don't know, like, doing a live show is very taxing. It is. I mean, it, it's it, we, we're not complaining by any means because we love doing this and we love hanging out with you guys and talking to you and, of course, doing the show. But when you're doing it live, it's, it's different, man. It's a different animal, especially, you know, we got Tidewater Comic Con coming up next week. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to that, but that's going to be two days. So we're going to need like a week to, to decompress. I think after Tidewater Comic Con, <laughs> not just that, but we have more city con this week as well. So that's right. We're going to be getting a whole bunch of interviews for you. Uh, we're not even going to tell you who we're going to get. Just, let's just say that, uh, it's going to be a big deal. So be ready for that coming up on a future episode as well. But speaking of our episode, well, I didn't want to gloss over this cause I did want to mention this speaking of free comic book day. One of the free comics that was available was the Teen Titans Go and Scooby-Doo team-up comic that I talked about. Yeah. So when I got home, one of the first things I did was I grabbed my son, James, and I set him down, and I grabbed the, the free comic, the Teen Titans comic, because he watches the show. And I was like, all right, let's do that for the first time. Let's sit down and let's read a comic together. I open up the comic to the first page, and he freaked out <laughs> he was so excited he's grabbing at it he's banging on the pages he's like i want to read this now and i'm like yes it has begun <laughs> that's actually pretty cool like although maybe it was more just yeah i get to rip something kind of thing cause... he wasn't even trying to rip it though he was like looking at the colors and everything i don't know if he recognized it from watching the show or not because he really likes the show yeah. I don't know if it was that, but he was really excited. So that was a cool moment for me. Now, what if it was like a Teen Titans Powerpuff Girls cover, like mashup? He would probably he would probably laugh at the Teen Titans pages and cry at the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> yes. So it'd be each either side of the coin. You know, the comics were reversible. Yeah, it'd be a laugh a laugh side and a cry side. So I'd be covered either way. 
Yes, yes. But I mean, I, I had a lot of fun. It was, you know, a good turnout. You know, uh, Mike Weber gave me an amazing penguin sketch, which oh, was just so awesome. It's so great. And it was, it was really cool. It was really nice because you know, we were talking about, you know, my nerd wall and everything else. And I said, yeah, I want to get a penguin sketch. And he just goes, here you go. And I'm like, oh, dude, that's so awesome. Hey, it's, he's like, it's just a rough sketch. Well, it just happens to be an awesome one. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll post a picture of it uh, later this week on probably our spotlight Sunday. I'll that's do it. That's a good idea. And, uh, I mean, that was fun. Of course, you know, May the 4th was this week, too. So I went to a uh, little Star Wars get-together at our David, friend's David Buster's place. And, uh, you know, it was fun. It was fun. I got a selfie with Darth Vader. My life is complete now. Yeah, you, you can't really argue with getting a selfie with Darth Vader. Of course, he wouldn't need the sel- selfie stick. He could just, you know, use the force to hold the phone up there much easier. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm shocked that he didn't. He was taking pictures of people. I'm shocked with that nobody, like, got force choked or anything like that which is kind of shocking yeah that is a little weird you'd think somebody would have gone for that exactly but I mean, it was fun so i mean you know that was my may the fourth kind of thing you know, a little get together and it was it was a lot of fun um but i mean that was pretty much it i mean free comic day was great and then also we want to kind of highlight something that's happening with soundcloud too james for people who are listening as yeah well. of, of course our soundcloud is where we always post of all, all of our shows every week uh friday at one o'clock and, you know, you have several options to listen to the show. We don't really talk about it a whole lot, so I'll run through them. You can stream the show on SoundCloud. You can also download it on SoundCloud. We also have an RSS feed you could download from that. And, of course, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. We're Down and Nerdy Podcast on iTunes. There's a couple of imitators up there, but we won't talk about that. But, no, what happened uh, last week was they actually changed the way that they monitor the stats for those people who listen to the show. So, I mean, you go to our page, you might notice some of the numbers a little smaller than usual. We're only allowed by SoundCloud, this is not by our choice, this is SoundCloud's choice, to actually show you our streaming numbers only. We're not allowed to share our download numbers or RSS numbers on the page, but we will share those with you from time to time on Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy, and of course here on the show. But, you know, so if you see uh, 400 for a week ago, and then more like 25, 30 for the next week, or 50, that's why. So it's not like people are turning away in droves. It was just a change in the way that they monitored stats. So don't worry, nerds. We're still here, and we're going to be here for a while because there's a lot of you out there. Trust me. Exactly. And a uh, quick thing I want to talk about the two. You know, we did reach out to them. We're trying to fix that. We're trying to get it resolved maybe where we can show you, hopefully just literally show you all uh, on our pages, on our SoundCloud page, all our stats. Because it's like, why wouldn't you want to share how many people listen to your show? I mean, not only that, but we're, we're proud of them. I mean, we got yeah. people in all 50 states listening to the show. We've got, you know, just recently Russia, France. Uh, even Iran and the United Arab Emirates, people are listening to the show from there as well. So, I mean, we're world, we talk about being worldwide. We really mean it. And we want to be able to share that information with you. We want you both, you know, maybe you're in Iran or someone like that. And you're looking at this, you see somebody else there listening to the show. And you're like, Oh, that's so cool. I'm not the only one. So, I mean, we want to be able to share that information with you. So hopefully we'll be able to do that, do that soon. Yes, and speaking of sharing information, we've got two new comics coming up this week. Where are they? Well, stay tuned and find out. Let's come up more of what we're reading on Down and Nerdy. Well, it's about that time, nerds. we got those long boxes. It's time to discuss what we're reading. Presented, of course, by our folks over at Fantasy Comics and Cards. Go check out Bob. All of his comics, his art, everything else. And James, I'm going to have you go first this week. All right, and I decided to go with... No surprise here, Batman number 40, which was the endgame finale. Of course, you know the team, Scott Snyder, Greg Pulo, Danny Meeky, and of course, Foucault Plancia. I think I got it that, like, Plessania. There we go. I got it right that time. Anyway, 
you, if you've been reading Batman, you kind of know the Joker's unleashed his Joker virus on the city. And it starts out where he's kind of holding a parade, like a one last hurrah. Everybody's going to die anyway. So let's have a parade. It was very Michael Keaton Batman-esque with Jack Nicholson's Joker, which was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. But basically, Batman had to team up with all of his enemies, basically all of them, in the final issue to try and cut through the crowd and get to Joker because they need the fluid in his spine to, to make a cure. Well, long story short, it looks like the spinal fluid was tainted by the Joker, so now they can't use it as a tour. But the whole thing was a distraction because Joker thought he took out Batman, and in fact, he only took out Dick Grayson. Okay. So it was very cool to see Dick Grayson in the bat suit again. It was a little weird, but at the same time, it was kind of cool. So basically cut to Bruce Wayne in the tunnels of Gotham trying to find the last of the Dionysium that was hidden by the Court of Owls to synthesize the cure for the virus to save Gotham. Right. Unfortunately, Joker got away and found Batman in the tunnels, and I gotta tell you, the epic bloody battle in the last, basically half of this issue was the bloody battle between Batman and the Joker, and I mean stab wounds everywhere. Part of Batman's face was burnt. Joker was broken in half a couple of times. It was just ridiculous how much of a battle it was. That's just awesome. I mean, Capullo was amazing as, as an artist and everything else. It's just really, really good. So, I mean, does this kind of like, is this like the end game pretty much? Like, is this pretty much like, hey, this is like Joker's last hurrah. We're going to burn him up and beat him up as much as we can, and then that's it, right? Well, here's the deal. Joker blew the tunnels before he even got down there. Right. So it's caving in, and, and basically this Dionysium will cure the rest of Gotham. So Batman kind of puts it in this what he calls an eye, which is basically a little pod to send up to Alfred's daughter to start synthesizing a cure. Well, Joker tackles him. So he can't get out, and that's when the battle kind of starts. Now, here's the deal. You've got rubble falling all around, and both of these guys are so injured, they can't get out. Right. So Batman decides that... there. Basically, there was this mystery as to whether or not Joker was this... Um, was this uh, omnipotent being yeah. kind of thing that's been surviving for hundreds of years? They don't really answer that, but Batman's kind of said, "Okay, I now know that you're the you're that guy, and you have been all along, so I owe you an apology." Kind uh-huh. of thing. But he says, "If I'm not getting out of here, you're not getting out of here." And they're so beat up that Batman, Bruce Wayne, lays on top of Joker and won't let him leave. And Joker's pleading for Batman to let him go. All the while, Joker said he could have saved Batman all along by giving him some of the Dionysium so it didn't have to end this way. And basically, the end game is just that. The place caves in with Joker and Batman inside. Wow. So the impression is, is Bruce Wayne is dead. And the Joker's dead. Wow, it's kind of like a reminder of Batman Eternal when Nightwing is in the, the bottom of Arkham Asylum and he's having the whole thing crumble on him as well. Mm-hmm. It was very much, it was very much like that. Now he left Alfred a note that just had the word "ha" on it, which I thought was kind of weird. But basically, Alfred was talking about how Bruce never protected himself and he was never able to face his own death, but he knew that the inevitable end was going to be tragedy. And if you were reading Batman, you know the issue before Joker cut off. Alfred's hand. Yeah. One of Alfred's hands. So he said, they said, you know, we've got it on ice. We could reattach it. And he said, there's no one to mend anymore. Wow. I was like, oh, dude. But I mean, is anyone ever really dead? 
No. I don't know. And we know that from the free comic book day issue that Commissioner Gordon is going to take over in sort of a bat bot suit type thing. So we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, I think I said Nightwing. I meant Batwing instead. Um, Here's another thing. Convergence is going on now. Does it tie to that at all? Or is it kind of like at the end of the day, next coming up in Convergence? Because you know how Marvel ties in everything to like the main arc? Are they doing that or is it its own thing It still? actually kind of didn't do that. I think it's in the same universe as Convergence, but um, I don't think they're making it a direct tie-in because the Conver- Convergence, there's so many universes going on. You're right. going to have some version of Batman in it at some point, but it looks like from the Free Comic Day issue, they're going to move on without Bruce Wayne, but they're not really giving you a whole lot of information. So there's been a time before where Bruce Wayne hasn't been around. This isn't the first time he's quote-unquote died, so I'm just very interested to see where they go from here because Batman basically saved the rest of the Bat family. Right. doing all this, too. So, you know, Batgirl, Robin, uh, even the villains, they're all still alive, so it'll be very interesting to see where they go from here. Right. Now, here's the thing. So you have that Batman number 40 now. Was it, was it what you're rating on this? Was everything you expected? What? Oh, it, it was. I mean, I, I honestly did not expect the death at the end. Yeah. Uh, the final fight scene was amazing. Could I have done without them doing another virus arc in DC after doing one of the Justice League? Yeah, probably. But, well, I mean, the way Snyder and Capullo put it together, I actually think was better, way better than the Justice League run by uh, Jeff Johnson company. Well, you mentioned the virus thing because it's also the thing they did in Arkham Knight as well. Right, so I mean, I, I don't know if that's a th- an ongoing theme right now in DC Comics, but right. I mean, I think Snyder and Capullo, if you're going to do it, do it right, and they definitely did. So this has and always will be a pull for me. Uh, I would read this series when the trade comes out. It's not as good as Zero Year was, but it was very, very good. All right, now it's my turn, James, and I decided to go with the indie route this week, and I decided to kind of go the childhood memory lane route as well. Uh, I decided to do Walt Disney's Uncle Scrooge number one. All right. And it's, it's pretty cool. Now, the writers on here, there's a blot. Uh, Rodolfo Seminio, uh, it's broken up into three stories, the whole book. So Rodolfo Seminio is, did the first story. Alberto Savini did the second story. And Luca Boschi and Romano Scarpa did the third story. Uh, art is done by Romano Scarpa, Scarpa who did the, he did the first and third story art. And then uh, Andrea Frasero did the second story art. Now, here's the cool thing. The book has 48 pages of content. Yeah, it was a lot. I read it as well, and there was a lot of content. And the thing is, you say, well, okay, well, how much is it now? It's $3.99, which is very, very good. And then they even said that the issues two and on, this is going to be all Disney books too, from IEW. They're going to have 40 pages per issue for the same cover price, which is really, really good and very important. And it had that little Disney comic seal on the bottom right-hand corner, too, which I thought was neat. Yep, so the first story, as I mentioned, it's, it's divided into three stories. It's pretty much Uncle Scrooge versus the Giga Beagle, which is the giant Mac Beagle made by the Beagle Bandits. And like I said, reading this, I had a big smile on my face because it was like you know somebody who watched you know DuckTales and stuff like that. You know, I loved watching it, so I was kind mm-hmm. of just revisiting memory lane. And the writing was very good. Like, it, it was, it felt like I was literally reading a version of the TV show, DuckTales. And it was funny to see Donald Duck in there as well. He actually played a big role in that first story. He played a big role in a lot of stories, actually. He was kind of like that, that kind of like that sidekick where, like, bad things always happen to him in a sense. 
Well, they certainly did at the end of the first story, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, dude, all the mines and everything. Yes. <laughs> uh, then, of course, the second story is pretty a one-page short of uh, Scrooge watching his TV. It's kind of like uh, he's watching TV, and the TV's off, and Donald's like, why is he, like, saying he loves watching it? And Scrooge's butler pretty much says, he's like, well, because he has three times the savings on his electric bill. He's like, because the uh, TV is... You know, three times as big. Believe me, it's a lot better than the way I'm describing it. I, I'm doing a terrible way of describing it. And then the, the third story is Uncle Scrooge gets his robe stolen, only to find out there's a certain reason why it gets stolen. And it's very, very funny, too. Yeah, and it's almost like uh, it, it ties back into something that happened to him 10 years ago. And it, and it kind of pokes at how cheap he is, too, which I thought was pretty funny. How, like, when you were reading this, we both read this, like, how pissed were you, like, when you saw him being so cheap were you like really dude like like seriously you're a dick well i mean and some of it's like well that's how they have their money so they're so cheap but i mean he was talking about how the lining in his jacket ran out after 10 years i'm like dude you'd be lucky to have a jacket for 10 years i know and it's just like then they find out like, the reason why his jacket gets stolen and then there's that scene where he's in that mini mouse dress that's all they have for him that to wear funny. that, that was, was great i like that's one thing i like about the disney universe is that they combine stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, outside of the, you know, the whole Marvel thing, they combine things. Like, you see Minnie Mouse, you know, a Minnie Mouse Easter egg in an Uncle Scrooge comic, you know, and stuff like that. I wonder if they're going to tie that into the Minnie Mouse issue that's going to be coming out uh, a little bit later on. I don't know, maybe, because that's the thing. It's like Donald Duck number one is coming out this month in May, and uh, I believe this is a monthly, too, so this is a definite pull for me. The art is phenomenal. I love it, because it has that simplistic... It felt very retro art to me. Like I said, it literally felt like you were, were watching the TV show, and it was put into a book. Well, that, it, second, that second story, I mean, the third story was uh, the art was spot on for that, as far as the TV show. It almost looked identical to me. Exactly. I mean, in IDW, they're going to have... Uh, they have a big winner on this. I'm so glad that Disney partnered with them. And the thing is, too, is kind of like we were talking about, like, well, they have Marvel. Why not partner with them? Well, this is why, because it's, it's not superhero initiative or anything like that. It's literally, here's our characters, and here's their adventures around. Right, you know? exactly. And it's very simplistic, but it's a definite pull for me, man. I mean, I love it. I really, really do. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well, and I, I think that um, when my son can start appreciating it, I think he's going to enjoy it too. I'm surprised you haven't really started him on that yet. I'm surprised you went more of a Teen Titans route with him. I, I, I only did that because I think that this book might actually have some value at some point, and I don't want him <laughs> grabbing at it like he did the free comic book day comic, so that's a little bit of the reason So in why. a sense, you are like you know, Duck Scrooge pretty much where – you know, no, don't touch the, 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 the one that Daddy bought. Use, he will, touch he will the one be, Daddy got for free. He will be he will be reading it with me shortly, but at a, at a safe distance. Yes, and speaking of father and son bonding, we have coming up in Geek Tainment, Batman versus Robin. Stay tuned. That's going to do it for what we're reading, but stay tuned. More Down Duty coming up next. Well, here we go with another Batman adventure on This Week in Geek Tam and going to the DC animated route once again, Nick. We're going to be talking about Batman versus Robin, which it was definitely a fitting title for this one. It really was. Because we just say that before we dive into the movie, let's talk about the box art. It was, Whoa. It was fantastic. <laughs> that clash, which is actually taken right from the film itself. Just, you know, it's kind of jazzed up a little bit more because it's box art. 
Exactly. Of you know, <laughs> and that's the thing. But like you know, Batman, and Robin are falling out, pretty much like fighting and they're falling off ability. It was really, really good. But this deals with. I'm so glad that DC finally went this route with Batman. They finally focused on the Core of Owls. And this pretty much mm-hmm. is a direct, literally a direct sequel to. Uh, the last Batman animated film. Yeah, and it's actually an adaptation of the Batman Court of Owls uh, graphic novel as well. Not yep. not exactly, but it's it's pretty darn close. But you kind of get a sense a little bit more of what the Court of Owls is all about. And I think that for casual fans that aren't really sure, I think this gave them an idea of just exactly what's going on there in that old world of Gotham that the, the Court of Owls represents. Yeah, so for people who don't know... And this is actually one of the bonus features as well. It kind of takes a look at the Core of Owls and who they are. So for people who don't know who the Core of Owls are, they're pretty much the secret society that's run Gotham for years, and if not centuries. And the underground, too. And even yeah. Thomas Wayne, uh, Bruce's dad, when he was younger, used to tell him this kind of fairy tale about the Court of Owls and how they're always watching, kind of, I'm paraphrasing, and how they're always watching and just saying their name can bring you can bring you harm. And he said, are they real, Dad? And he's like, no, son, it's not real. It's just a fairy tale. Well, not so much there, Tommy boy. Yeah, not so much. And that's the thing is that, you know, as it gets older, of course, the center is around Damien, who is approached by Talon. And the thing with Talon is he's saying, like, you have so much, you know, you can, you know, you can offer. You know, you, the whole kind of like an, an arrow, how Raish is to Oliver. Where he's like, I see so much potential in you. Mm-hmm. I want you to take our side and everything else. And I got to tell you, Stuart Allen, who voices Robin and Damien Wayne, did a phenomenal job as usual because he had that attitude. That's what Damien is. Damien, Damien is the Joffrey of the DC universe, pretty much. I looked at I looked at Jameson while we were watching it, and I said, "You're not going to act like that. Yeah. <laughs> you are not going to act like that, because Daddy will put you in your place." Yeah, and speaking of, like I said, that, let's get to that fight scene too, man. That was just that was unbelievable. The not whole only fight that, sequence. I mean, when they're falling off that building. And basically, in a true fatherly act, Batman turns himself so Damien doesn't hit the statue on the way down. He does. It's like, dude, he, even in you, even with you fighting him and acting like you don't even want to be around him anymore, he's still saving you. Well, because that's the thing. It's like he, you know, Batman Bruce Wayne says, like, you are my son. And it's just one of those things where, you know, Damien is still trying to come to grips with being, you know, being the son of Bruce Wayne and not being part of the League of Assassins anymore. Because, like I said, he even brings up, he talks about Raish and his mother and stuff like that. And it's just one of those things where, like, you know, I, I just think it's really, really a coming-of-age story. It's a really important story because, like I said, in a sense, people can realize this because if you're growing up, because remember the Court of Owls and how they are, it's kind of like literally growing up and you have, like, this, somebody who you know is in a gang and say, hey, buddy, join the gang. And you know what's going on. You don't know they have the best interests until it's too late. And the kind of the twist with Talon and the Grandmaster was actually pretty interesting as well. Yeah, which actually turned out, spoiler alert, the Grandmaster of the Court of Owls was not only dating Bruce Wayne at the time, but she was sleeping with Talon. And turns out the Grandmaster was a woman, which nobody really knew 
going in, I mean, you kind of assumed it was a man. Maybe shame on us for making that assumption. But uh, <laughs> that was a nice little little thing. And then there's other people that say, well, you know, why was Nightwing in this? Here's right. why Nightwing was in this. Because Nightwing is that son that Bruce Wayne's always had, not by blood, but that Damien now feels like he has to live up to and even calls him the great Dick Grayson a couple of different times. And he's like, but you're not his blood. I'm his blood. So there's that jealousy that's fueling Damon, Damien there as well, that Dick has been around for so long and he sees him like a son, but he's not really. So he's like, how do I become Dick Grayson? And, or should I even become like Dick Grayson? And that's a great scene is when they're in the bad cave and he's staring at, you know, the Robin outfit and Dick Grayson person comes up to him and says, you don't deserve to wear that. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, it, and it just sets him off. They have this big fight scene and everything else. And it's really, really big. Like, it is, like I said, it's that 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 inner struggle, you know, in a sense. And that's kind of a good thing because you don't see a lot of great sequels. A lot of sequels no. is that great conflict and or a good sequel in a sense. And like I said, it's not like a direct sequel, but it's it's connected. It's in that same universe. Oh, it's universe. definitely connected. You can tell that it went right from Son of Batman. Yep. Not directly into this necessarily, but definitely close enough together that, they, that they're tied together. So I like that they're going this route. Now it makes me wonder if they're going to go the route of doing Damien's death at some point, like they did in the comics as well. Are we going to end up going there at some point? I don't know, but here's the thing, is that there was that scene where, you know, Damien is trapped in that coffin and he's pretty much close to death and stuff, and then you get to that final fight scene between Talon and Bruce Wayne and the whole Corvallis and everybody where he says, you know, you came after me is one thing, but you he's in that giant mech Batman suit. He's mm-hmm. like, but then you made the biggest mistake of going after my son. Now get out of my goddamn house. Or get yeah, out of my goddamn like, cave. He's like, this is going to hurt and I'm going to enjoy it kind of thing. I was like, yeah, and, it is. And, and it was at that point where I love that their relationship came full circle. Where, where Bruce Wayne, because, I mean, Bruce Wayne, for the most part, like, from Son of Batman on, is kind of like, I'm his father, but more of his guardian. Whereas this is like, I am his father. He is my son. You will not harm him. And then we also kind of see Bruce's influence on Damien throughout the film when he won't kill. And also at the end, when they're talking about, you know, he, Damien says, I can't, I can't know who I am by being here and having you all in my head. So, Bruce suggests the same place that he went to in the Himalayas, and Damien's like, I'm not going there. And then you look at the end, and it's like, where did he go? He went to where Bruce Wayne went. Exactly. So it's almost like, okay, he's accepting him as his father now. Just as much that, like you said, that he's accepting Damien as his son, Damien's now accepting Bruce as his father. So it really comes full circle in the end. I think that's one of the things that made this great. Exactly. And the thing is, too, is... You know, we, you talk about that, how he has struggles with who he is in a sense. And, you know, Jason Romero did a great job of voicing Batman Bruce Wayne. But let's talk about the beginning of this film with the Dollmaker, voiced by Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, that was really a creepy version of the Dollmaker, the portrayal alone. But uh, Damien and Bruce kind of made short work. Well, Damien found him first. Yeah. And uh, they kind of really made short work of him. And then it looked like Bruce blames Damien for the Dollmaker's death. When we come to find out later on in the film that it was actually Talon that actually carried that out. Yeah. And yeah, and Batman's staring at Robin. He's like, what did you do? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, there's that rift. Because the whole theme throughout most of the movie is justice, not revenge. Right, exactly. And 
then you see that, and then it's just chipping away at that dynamic, and then again, it reaches a boiling point. It was, I'm not going to lie, as a Marvel fan, it was kind of like a father-son version of Civil War, if you will, in a sense. It, it, that's exactly what it was. Well, that's I think it was aptly titled Batman versus Robin. That's why they chose that title. I think it was a very good choice. So final ratings out of on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give it? I give it an 8. I give it a solid 8. Um, there were some parts I thought were maybe it lagged a little bit. Uh, however, there the great there's this great writing and attention. Again, Jason O'Mara did a great job. Stuart Allen did a great job. Uh, Robin Atkin Downs, who was the Grandmaster, did a phenomenal job, as well as Jeremy Sisto, who was Talon. As somebody who hasn't read anything with Court of Owls, being introduced to it this way was phenomenal. And it was really, I loved it. I really, really loved it. Because like, up until, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I actually, up until the last issue of Batman Eternal, I haven't read anything I uh, had to do with the Court of Owls. So like I said, I'm very happy uh, with the way that they went with this. And I actually kind of hope if they do do a, a future Batman film um, in the DC Universe, if it's connected to this new DC Universe or not, I really want them to do a Court of Owls movie. Yeah, I think that I don't think this is the last we've seen in the Quarter of Owls for sure. I mean, I know you saw a lot of them wiped out in this movie, but they they don't go away. So I think we'll be seeing a little bit more from them. I think I'd go nine uh, yeah. for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned. I think I just maybe liked it just a little bit more, because, especially the father-son dynamic that they built so, so well. I do think that there were a couple times where it did lag a little bit, a little bit of forced humor in, in spots that I think didn't really work, but... Other than that, I, I definitely give it a solid nine for sure. Is it so? We, quick thing now, you said you like the father son dynamic. It's also because you are a father yourself, so it's kind of like sitting down with your son, seeing this I, in the back of the back of your mind. Like, oh God, I hope we don't have this. We're like you're I, fighting your son on top of your roof in the house. I, I really hope that it's not a, a, a Bruce Damien relationship. But the good news is, is that I'll be <laughs> here the whole time, unlike Bruce. Not that it was really his fault, but you know. I'll be here the whole time, so I think I'll be able to avoid that. But we're still going to be here. That's what we thought of Batman versus Robin. We're going to be coming up with a ton of nerd news. It's next on Down and Nerdy. Well, it's that time, nerds, and we go around the internet and decide what's trending, because it's time for what, James? Nerd, nerd news! And our first story, well, we're going to be taking our, we thought was our last crusade, but you know what? We decided, hey, what the hell, we're going to go for another one, James. Well, we're going to forget about Crystal Skulls, hopefully, because it looks like Disney is eventually going to be doing a new Indiana Jones movie, according to the studio president, Kathleen Kennedy, when she was talking to Vanity Fair. Kennedy confirmed rumors that another indie movie will, quote, one day be made inside this company. When it will happen, I'm not quite sure. We haven't started working on a script yet, but we are talking about it. Now, did you mention the fact of, you know, there's rumors that Chris Pine wants, or not Chris Pine, uh, Star-Lord, shit, I can't think of his name. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Pine, Pratt, whatever. Either Anyways, or. either or. Uh, but then I said, oh, he might be chosen for this. It's like, after King of the Crystal Skull... I'm kind of leery. Well, you know what? You mentioned Chris Pine. That's not necessarily a bad choice mm-hmm. because he, I think, had played off. I know that, you know, people say Nathan Villian, Nathan Villian. Depending yeah. on what kind of, what version of indie they're going to go for here, Nathan Villian might be too old. Right. So I'm not so sure that Nathan Villian might be the right guy. Again, it depends on what era. I mean, if they do a total reboot, they're going to have to go even younger. Exactly. They're going to have to go younger than Chris Pratt or Chris Pine as well. So, I mean, we don't know 
where they're going to go with this. So I guess the question is, Nick, where would you like them to start this off if they were to do it? Do you want a total reboot of the young indie, or do you want them to go with kind of like they did with Harrison Ford, where he was already a little bit older and more seasoned? Here's what I would say. I'm glad they're not doing the, the, the Mutt thing. Uh, they said they were going to be doing after Kingdom Crystal Skull uh, with, I, I can picture him, uh, Mr. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I can't think of it. Shia LaBeouf. They, they said that they were going to do, you know, they're possibly going to do a spinoff with, yeah, you know, good that son. that didn't happen. Thank God that didn't happen. Um, but I think if you're going to do this with any franchise, honestly, I would like to see someone with his father. That would be like, interesting. Like like a like a like a not a biopic, but like, like a pre uh, like even a pre prequel. Yes. That would so you're going like the Sean Connery character route. Yeah. That would be interesting to find out how he you know, how the whole family even got started into it. That's like taking it way back, kind of like like what they were thinking with uh with Star Wars doing a Boba Fett origin uh film. So yeah, that that would be interesting to see to see them do that. I exactly. wouldn't mind seeing that. Well, the thing is, like, I want to see it because, like, I think today's day and age with a bunch of reboots, it's too easy to go back to, like, here's the younger days of this character, or even now, like, here's the older version of this character, which, of course, we saw, like, Crystal Skull, and, uh, no, fuck the aliens, fuck them. Yeah. And you know what? It's, in in a way, if you think about it, it's safe because there's really no canon for this with right. his dad so if you want to go back and i mean there's certain things you'd have to be careful of because of the indie movies that have already been done so you'd have to kind of you know any references might have to be very very you'd have to be very careful there right. but there's nothing you can really screw up yeah when you do this i mean you could it could still end up being a bad movie but it's not like you could say this is nothing like the way it should have been in this way blah 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 so yeah, I think that that might be a good way to go. Well, it makes sense because, you know, you have Sean Connery's character. Like I said, there's no canon. And then in, in today's day and age where we want these original stories, these original films, why not do that? Why not say, hey, here's somebody who we've given you a little bit of a taste of. But we haven't really gone through his whole origin and everything else, how he got even got his son into this kind of thing, you know? Plus, it's a whole different era of archaeology that they could explore exactly. in these movies. So it, may, it would kind of make it fresh in a sense. Plus, with him being older, of course, you, there is that earlier time period, which I think would be really fascinating. I mean, if you're, you know, talking about maybe the early, very early 1900s to late 1800s, possibly. Right, exactly. So I think that that would be a good way to go. So... Hopefully they do it and do it right. Speaking of doing things right, Nick, at least in my opinion, we finally found the full reveal of the Suicide Squad cast. And I got to tell you, for the most part, I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy as well. I mean, first of all, let's start off with the one photo that set off, which was, you know, you had the full cast photo. But I want to talk about one photo specifically. I want to talk about the full one-body shot of Deadshot. Will Smith in his right. costume. He looks exactly like he does in the comics for the most part. And then, of course, you have those nerds, those fucking nerds, who say, but his laser eye or his laser sight is on the wrong eye in the mask. This oh, movie. stop it. And I'm like, yes, because Will Smith is left handed, so they had to switch it up. Here's my thing stop being the goddamn 16 year old that didn't get the right Range Rover. Like, seriously. Yeah, but I exactly. wanted the Range Rover to be 
blue and it's white. Fuck you, you got a goddamn Range Rover. It's like, but his his costume's this. It's like, or Will Smith's playing this. We're still getting a goddamn Suicide Squad movie. Not to Be mention, happy. The, co- the costume is basically dead on balls accurate to the comics. Yeah. So just relax. And just because it doesn't look like Deadshot looked like an arrow doesn't necessarily mean it has to look that way in the movie. Yes, Michael Rowe did a good job as Deadshot. This is going to be a totally different animal. Not to mention, I'm not sure the people in Arrow really had the budget to go with the yeah. full-on suit. I mean, I think they did really well with what they had to work with. Plus, it was a more real-life adaptation. I'm going to make the same argument for Harley Quinn. Yeah. I know some people are upset, and even Bruce Tim kind of chimed in and said, uh, when he was doing an interview with Polygon, he said that he was a little nervous too. He said, it's weird, myself being somebody who's taken characters that are pre-existing and putting my own spin on them in my little universe. I'm aware of how and when a character that is necessarily created shows up at other media that they have to adapt it to different things. And he even went on to say that, you know, she looks kind of cute. Yeah. Here's the deal. I want you to go to Bob's at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach. And I want you to pick up the new 52 Harley Quinn. It's not exactly that, but it's very close. And it's, if you've been, if you read the new 52 Suicide Squad as well, the hair especially, yeah. they drew Harley's hair right from new 52 Suicide Squad. Yeah, she has that blue and pink ass cotton candy hair that grandma has pretty much. And the cutoff t-shirt look is also there as well. And I mean, again, you go to Assault on Arkham. It's yep. a very similar look from that animated movie. And here's the deal. They've already said Harley is going to have multiple costumes in this movie and going forward. So can we all just relax? Because she looks great. It's Margot Robbie. Like, now, here's the thing is you look on her like she has the tattoos of like cards and stuff like that. Now, here's my thing. Well, we talked about the Joker last week and all the tattoos. The tattoos here don't bother me with Harley Quinn so much because in multiple mediums now, she has those tattoos. Yeah. Like in the Arkham game, she has a, you know, a back tattoo or whatever and stuff like that and kind of like a Harlequin kind of tattoo. And, and the thing is, is with that, it's like, it fits her more, whereas with the Joker, the way the Joker, they did the Joker's tattoos, again, they said that it was more of the reflection of the 75th anniversary, so it's not what he's going to really look like. But still, just to draw a comparison, with Harley Quinn, it's more of, you're not paying attention to the the, the leg tattoos, you know, whereas with the Joker, it's like, okay, we get it, you're the Joker, you know, we don't need to have the ha-has and everything else. But Harley Quinn, it's more subtle, it's not in front of there. And plus, she even has... Kind of the, the the diamond tattoos or whatever like that on her leg, anyways. But I like that. Now I, I did at first think that the photo was a fake at first, and here's why: when you look at the photo and you see Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang, you look at it hard enough. It looks. I literally thought it looked like Tom Hardy. It kind of did a little bit, a little bit. It it was it was very. It's a very different look for Jai Courtney, which yeah. I think is a good thing because I think he's in kind of a typecast kind of realm right now so i like that it's a very different look for him i like that they swerve people with will smith in the first photo (laughs) with deadshot i think i mean if i'm looking just at the photo itself i think that enchantress looks phenomenal yes and killer croc yes looks pretty darn good too i was worried about that one when i saw the killer croc was going to be on the cast i was excited but i was worried at the same time so I got to tell you, every every new thing that I see about this movie gives me more and more hope 
Yeah. That it's going to be one of the, it's almost like it's going to be the guardians of the galaxy for the DC universe. And that it's not one of those ones that you're really expecting to be huge. And it really end up could be, could be huge. Right. And again, this is showing why DC swung for the fences in terms of casting with Margot Robbie and Will Smith, you know, and and the other cast of people that they got. And I want to do want to talk about killer croc a little bit. I'm glad that it looks like they're going with more of the, it's a skin condition and right. he's a cannibal, whereas instead of him being a giant crocodile. Right, and I mean, will that will that evolve over time uh, with the character? We don't know. I mean, I don't know how much they're going to... It's, it's almost like one of those things, okay, now I have to wait and see how they're going to explain it before we realize where they're going to go with it. Well, plus, isn't King Shark in the movie as well? Uh, I don't think he's in this one. I think that was the rumored thing, and then instead of doing King Shark, they decided to go with Killer Croc instead. Okay. I think that was a, that was the thing they that King Shark might have might was supposed to be in it, and then they decided to go Killer Croc. I'll have to check and see if there's any more uh, movement on that as far as the rumor mill goes. Before we go into our, our third uh, third story, James, I want to talk about Mario Robbie real quick with the Harley Quinn, and there was a video, a set video that was released of her, you know, walking and stuff like that. And if you listen really close, you hear her Harley Quinn voice. Okay. And. You have to listen. It's one of those you have to listen really, really close, or you might miss it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not gonna say, "Oh my god!" It sounds like because, like I said, it's hard to really tell. But I, I'm let's put it this way: I think you should be excited. I'm gonna check out that video because I've not seen it yet. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a I'll link. I'll find it. Yeah, yeah. There's like a bunch of like seven second Instagram or, or Snap videos or whatever of just you know, I know. them there's filming. Gonna, there's been so many vines and stuff and Instagram pics from the set, which I mean, I kind of like it and I kind of don't. You know, I'm kind of on right. the fence when it comes to set picks and stuff like that. But yeah, that I definitely need to check that out because I I need to hear it. I need. To, I think that's almost more important than the costume. Exactly. Yeah. Is how they how she portrays. I think you're going to be very happy. I think something you're going to be happy with as well is that well, it's not surprising that Supergirl did get pretty much put the series on CBS. What is surprising though is how much the fucking thing costs just for the pilot alone. Yeah, and the reports are from Variety that the pilot cost $14 million to produce. And if you want to make a comparison, they also did in the same article, that's way more than the average episode of, say, Game of Thrones. Now, I know it's kind of, maybe that's a little bit of apples and oranges there, but, I mean, $14 million, that's, if you don't understand the way television works, that's a little concerning. That, to me, says that if this show isn't like the huge runaway hit it could get canceled because that's an expensive price tag well here's the thing now you mentioned the game of thrones thing now game of thrones it costs an average of six million to make per episode and the pilot for game of thrones did cost between five to ten million just for the pilot but 14 million so it's four about four million extra but the thing is i think it's that much for this reason because i think of the way they're gonna do krypton in the beginning of her escaping from there and stuff like that I think it's going to be set up like that, so it might be that's where a lot of the budget's going is to make it look like that. And also, it's going to probably be a lot of CG, so it's going to be cost like that as well. I think it might dip down to maybe about the $10 million per episode uh, range. I don't think it's going to be that much. But yeah, for a pilot, it's pretty much CBS saying, we're putting in all of our resources into this one show, pretty much. Like, Which we're I- going to business, like, we're, a lot is riding on this pilot. CBS tends to have shows succeed greatly, whether they should or not. So I think that that is a good feather in the cap of Supergirl. And I think this is a show that could be wildly successful. But here's the deal. 
Let's think big picture now. Let's say that this show, let's say this show surpasses the popularity of Arrow and Flash, which I know that's a stretch, but let's say that that happens or at least gets on that level. What happens three, four, five seasons down the line, just like Big Bang Theory, when they're like, okay, this is a really hit show. We're not getting paid enough. Uh, the cast needs raises. Where's that money going to come from? Because if you're already spending that much to produce the show, then you've got to pay Melissa Benoist. You've got to pay Dean Kane potentially. You've got to pay um, uh, the woman that was supposed to be playing uh, um, her her mother. There. Right. I can't think of her name right, but I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Yeah. So they, I mean, th- those are names that you eventually going to have to pay these people. Uh, where's the money going to come from? Well, here's the thing. It's. I think that's going a little bit overboard. Ellen I think later. That's her name. Yeah, I, I think that's going a little bit overboard because it's not like it's you know uh, the local Cox Forty Three or Cox Eleven station. You know, it's not the, the local station. It's true, it's, but it does it's matter. CBS. It does matter, but I don't think. I mean, it's most of noise. I don't think most of noise is going to be commanding twenty million an episode. For we sp- say that now. Right. But I don't think NBC thought the cast of Friends was going to be worth $10 million per episode when they shot the first couple seasons either. Right. So, I mean, I, I mean, eventually, if I mean, if you're making that much money off the show, you're going to pay. Right. Just for the, because advertising, you can make a boatload. But, I mean, I, I'm very interested to see where the production costs go after the pilot. Like you said, I think that the pilot, there's going to be certain episodes that are heavier than others on CGI and stuff like that. So I'm just very curious to see. I mean, is there a reason the pilot costs a lot of money? Maybe there's a lot of explosions. There's a ton of CGI, and we just don't know. I guess it's one of those things you don't know till you see it. But it's still concerning because that was one of the concerns for Constantine on NBC was that the production value would either suffer because they didn't give it a big enough budget or the budget would be so big that the show would not return. Right, and that's the thing is like, you know, as much as we want Constantine to come back, and you look at something like Supergirl, like remember, this is also a big risk in terms of uh, the, the character that they're doing because this, remember, this is going to be the first fully committed series starring a female superhero. Right, which is great. Bravo for that. Yeah, so it's great on that end, but again, it's also still a risk. And, you know, that's the thing is because you saw that they had that planned Wonder Woman TV show, that never came to happen. And everything else, right? But this is a, so like I said, you know, it's it's. I mean, I want to see how it's going to be. I, I have high hopes for it, but part of me is kind of glad it, the Wonder yeah. Woman thing didn't work out. Oh yeah, because you saw how they wanted to do it; it didn't really yeah. make sense. But I'm just glad that you know, like I said, it's it, from a, a CBS standpoint. They said, okay, this is a character; it's Supergirl. We got to put all of our resources into this. And speaking of our final story, actually, speaking of putting all your resources in, James, so many resources went into this because Tony Hawk Pro Skater is coming back. Yeah, it's amazing. After years and years, we're finally getting a Tony Hawk Pro Skater game again. It's going to be slated to come out for PS4 and Xbox One later this year. And they're also going to have PS3 and Xbox 360 versions that are going to go shortly after that, kind of like they did with Mortal Kombat X. So, I mean, I'm looking at the stills here from Game Informer. They look really good. I think on a next-gen console, a game like this, could really pop, and it's kind of becoming popular bringing back games like they're bringing back Guitar Hero and Rock Band, and now we're going to get Tony Hawk, but all it does is remind me of how bad a skater I was (laughs) back in the day 
I don't, I don't know how how into it you were, but I had this tiny little plastic blue skateboard, which uh, is probably not even a real skateboard. And I think we went over a friend of the family's house. You know, the adults were doing their thing inside. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take my skateboard outside and I'm going to go up and down the driveway. Let's yeah. just say I either couldn't get the thing to move or I ended up on my ass most of the time anyway. So it was one of those um, selfish kid, I don't like this toy anymore kind of thing. So that's kind of where it ended. That's where it ended for me. Yeah, with me, it was it was kind of funny, actually, with me. Uh, I wasn't much into skating. I did have a, 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 a skateboard, though. It was a Simpsons skateboard. And I went to a skate park once, and all I did, because I was such a pussy, even though I had, like, my, my pads and my helmet, I literally just went down a ramp over and over again. <laughs> I, 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 I sat, I stood at the, on my board, just went down this, like, 10 50 foot ramp or something like that you know and that was it for me i'm so glad the skate parks didn't really exist when i was that age because i right. probably would have broken my face i if it was different because i wanted to go in the bowl because i had the bowl area oh, yeah. i wanted to go in there but i think if i had blades if i had my blades still i would i would uh uh i would do that i would probably hit the bowl yeah, if I had the you blades. were either a blade guy or a board guy i got yep you. yep but uh yeah, it was just one of those things, man, where I was just like, I just did it once. I'm like, yeah, I'm not into it. But the game, and people are probably wondering, like, what does Tony Hawk have to do with nerddom? Well, for those of you who played Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, you could play as Spider-Man. And not that was that. fun. Not only that, but, I mean, it goes back to the NES and Skate or Die. And when, when that game first came out, it was actually a pretty big hit, more so than I think even Nintendo expected. And everybody played Skate or Die, whether you liked skating or not. Now, I know it's a little bit different on NES than it is yep. on a PS3 or a PS4, but that's kind of what started it all was that game. And then Tony Hawk being, if anybody built their brand well, it was Tony Hawk. I mean, yeah. the guy really did. And let's face it. Gamers, this isn't just about comic books here. Gamers know that Tony Hawk games were a big deal on their consoles when they first started coming out. So that's why we're talking about it, because this game coming back after all these years is a very big deal. Exactly. And now here's a question. Now, if you, you've played Tony Hawk Pro Skater, correct? Yeah. Okay, who was the one guy that you always were? I was always Bucky Lassick, because he always had that. I think it was him that had the finger flip airwalk for a special. Because everybody had their own special move, like Tony Hawk in a 900. I remember. Uh, Bucky Lassick had the finger flip airwalk, and another guy, I can't think of his name, he had like the Christ air where he pretty much took a skateboard and put his arms out like you know, like Jesus, and he could spin him around and stuff like that. Uh, who was your 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 skater you you always picked? Ironically, it was the same exact one. Was it Bucky Lassick? Yeah, it really was. I I was I just loved his the aerials that he had. So I I that was just the one that. I, and you know, it was for me. It was always I pick a character yeah. and I kind of stick with it kind of thing. So I didn't yeah. really use hardly anybody else. So it's hard for me to even remember what some of the characters' remember, names were. That's the thing. Remember that era that we grew up. It was like you know the PlayStation early two thousands era, where like you had that. I think you had it was Matt Hoffman's Pro BMX as well. I think yep. it, was, it was Dave Mirror or something like that yep. that came out as well. And it was just like a great thing. And what's funny was my cousin and I we played Tony Hawk Pro Skater two. And you know you do like the the, the campaign mode in a sense. And the first of all the music in the whole uh, the whole series was great. I love the music. It was so. It was really, really awesome. They're gonna kick that up a notch in this, I think. Yeah. too. I think especially now with music rights being a little bit easier to get. Yeah. And uh, games like this, yeah, I, I think that that's gonna get kicked up a lot. I think that that was great. Also, there was a cheat you could put in Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two, where it's called like Infinite Air, where if you hold the X button down, that. your characters would float in the air, and you could do like unlimited 
special moves and moves like, you know, whatever. You don't you fall to the ground and die. Um, and, you know, you had the, the campaign mode where you had to collect all the letters, like, you know, you spell out skate and everything else. And right. It was really, really fun. My cousin actually was an artist on Tony Hawk's Proving Ground for Wii. And so it was pretty cool to hear him talk about that and just working on that game as well. And I'm sorry, I love, I think one of my favorite points of the whole Tony Hawk games was when they introduced story mode into like Tony Hawk Underground and Tony Hawk Underground 2. Yeah, I, me too. And I think that, I mean, this has been on so many consoles over the years that, I mean, it's, it's really built its way up and to finally get it into a next gen yeah. for the first time ever. I mean, it's almost like you've been waiting for that. I mean, yeah, sure. It was on PlayStation, you know, it even had a Dreamcast run for a little bit there. It had, I had a PS3 a run. Yep. I mean, it had, it had an Xbox, uh, I mean, excuse me, a PS2 run, but this is a totally different animal. And to take it to a next-gen console, I just think visually, yeah. this is the game that skaters have been looking for. Hey, any any way to get people to buy more video games, I think that's a good thing. Last thing before we end this segment, how cool would it be if they offered a bundle pack with Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 and they gave the original Tony Hawk Pro Skater? That would be very cool. Or at least give it, give me the option to get it, you know, give me a, a coupon code to get like the digital version of it for a download so I can play it. I think, yeah. I think that would be really neat. Come and on, not, PlayStation Store. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not talking about like, oh, they got to refurbish. Re- no, give us the original graphics. Like, yeah, seriously. Just, just give me that as like a, or even give me like a mobile game option. Yeah. Do that. You know, give me a code for mobile game or something. I think that would be really cool. And, you know, it, it, it excites people. People like that little something extra. And I think that would be the thing that make people go, whoa. Exactly. And that's going to do it for Nerd News. Come up next, our main topic, we're be discussing Marvel Cinematic Universe, DC Cinematic Universe, all the Cinematic Universes. Should it be connected with television or should it be connected at all? Yes or no? Stay tuned. More down there. You come up next. Well, last week was not only free comic book day, it was the opening of Avengers Age of Ultron, and we didn't love it as much as we thought we would, or at least I didn't. I can only speak for myself here. So you hear all the time Marvel saying it's all connected, and we were getting to thinking, should it be all connected? So that's what we're going to talk about this week, Nick. Yeah, first of all, I loved Age of Ultron, you ass. I I did love it. I just thought that it wasn't perfect. It Ugh. definitely had it's it's definitely had some issues like hey by the way I'm Iron Man again and by the way I don't have to tell you why because Iron Man 3 never happened. Yeah, that's one of the questions. But anyways, we did I at least I did post this question on my personal Facebook. I asked the question of like, you know, what's the people's take on the whole connected and MCU and just even DC universe as well. You know, should things be connected by way of two things. There's the Let's include television with the movies, and then there's let's have these separate movies lead up to an end game. Like, for example, let's have these different Marvel movies lead up to an Avengers, or have, you know, Superman, Man of Steel, and then Batman Superman lead up to Justice League, and so on and so forth. So, we did get a couple uh, people that wrote us. Steve, our good friend Steve, who was also Deadpool, likes, he wrote, he said, I like how Marvel is tying everything together and sharing ideas from movies and TV shows. For me, it makes more sense to share everything. It makes it more real. Now, Rod kind of had a counterpoint to that. He said, forcing one universe across multiple platforms limits creativity, in my opinion. If Marvel or DC wants to have a shared universe, that is fine. But you marginalize both the movie and TV product for anyone who participates in watching 
only one of them. I agree with Rod on this point. I got to too, because I mean, look at the point that Joss Whedon was making with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And we talked about this on Free Comic Book Day, where he wanted to do certain things. And the movie folks are saying, okay, well, you can have this, but you can't have this. And you can't have this and you can't have this. And if I'm Joss Whedon, my reply is, well, it's is it all connected or not? Because right. if it's all if it's all connected, then you got to give me a little bit more freedom here. Because it's almost like okay, we're going to use Agents of Shield as like a pacification to get ourselves on television, so people can't say, well, why isn't Marvel doing TV shows? But then you don't give them the tools that they need to succeed. I don't understand why you would do that. I'm not saying that Robert Downey Jr. has to be on Agents of Shield. That's ridiculous. But at the same time, they're not really giving them a whole lot to work with in the connected universe, I don't think. No, you're giving them mostly references. For example, if you do watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you watch Marvel movies, you would notice that the last episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that came out before Age of Ultron pretty much sets up the opening scene to Age of Ultron. Right. But in a sense, it's not important because, like I said, I don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so going into seeing Ultron, that first opening scene, and we're going to get into spoiler territory, so I'm sorry about that because this has well, how it is. Well, we didn't spoil last week, so we're yeah. going to do it this week. So that opening scene where you see – it's in the trailer where you see them all like lunging and taking out those Hydra agents that are dressed in white. That's pretty much – you know, you don't need to know that in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. they said, hey, no. here's Von Strucker's place. Let's go you know, assemble the Avengers. You don't need that. So no. it's kind of like they're giving them weak points – to set up the thing. People are saying, oh, it's nice to see that kind of connection, but it's like, no, because you don't really need it. It's not necessary. You know, you can go into the movie. The movie pretty much picks up on the, hits the ground running. You don't need this whole set with S.H.I.E.L.D. And with Whedon, he was kind of, there was that story that came out about how he wanted Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel and Spider-Man in Age of Ultron and it kind of left to him leaving and everything else and him going back and forth with Marvel and arguing with Marvel because he wants certain creative rights, but because Marvel has their MCU set up the way they do, you can't do that. And the thing is, I look at this, and it's like, I look at the, the connectivity, DC has it right, and Marvel has it right at certain points. I think that, it, you need, here's, here's my thing when it comes to connectivity. Television, you keep those two things separate because you have, I'm not going to lie, even though you see actors who are like on movies and they go to television, it doesn't mean that TV actors can make the jump to film. No. It's two different beasts. And you need the connectivity. If you're doing a movie like Justice League or Avengers, you do need those movies to kind of like piece together why they're coming together. And I do like that individual like Iron Man gets his own set of movies and Captain America gets his own set of movies and Hulk and whatever. I like that because instead of saying hey, here's an Avengers, we're just going to throw them all together because you know we're going to have this whole universe set up to where they do combine and they do join up. Because the thing is, if you think about it, James, I don't know how about you would think about it, but you say you see the Avengers movie, what's the complaint you're going to have? Oh, they threw all of them together. There was really no development in a two-hour movie. That's why a lot of people are going to be saying about DC and Batman vs. Superman, when you're throwing Wonder Woman and you're well, throwing this person we, in there. We think so. We think they're throwing. We don't know for sure that they're throwing. We haven't seen anything yet and we haven't heard any of the plot lines. We don't know exactly how they're going to do it. We think we know, but we don't necessarily know. It's dangerous to take make assumptions on stuff like that. But here's my problem. You say it's all connected. Right. We, we've talked about this before. What happens when you have something bad or doesn't make sense? 
I'm going to throw out Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. one more time, and I'm going to throw in Iron Man 3. And Avengers Age of Ultron was the first example of us seeing them going, you know what? That never happened with Iron Man 3 because there was a lot of criticism, especially from you, Nick, about Iron Man 3, and in a lot of ways, rightfully so. Now, you cannot say it's all connected and then say something's, something didn't happen because that's, that's hypocritical. You can't do that. And the second point I want to make is, for all the Marvel fanboys who thought Joss Whedon was a god, and some of you still do, you turned pretty quickly on him on Twitter this week from what I've seen. So he went from being a god to a, well, look at what he wants to do now. No, you can't. No. No, the guy's a smart guy. He helped build this universe in the first place. He's one of the main reasons that the universe has gotten where it is, but because of stuff that's come out in the last week, all of a sudden, I'm seeing a lot of nerds turn on Joss Whedon on Twitter, and I don't get it. I think part of it is because there's rumors, he's talking about how he wants to do a DC film, and then part of it is that stupid Marvel-DC rivalry bullshit. So people are going to hate him for that. But I just think, you know, here's the thing. I think that, honestly, people got their hopes up way too high, I think, for Ultron. Marvel did that to themselves, though. I mean, think about it. With all the trailers, what was it, 17 minutes worth of trailers, pumping it over and over and over again, and a movie that did not need this much hype. There was already enough hype. Like, I'll take the boxing world for example. I know we're not going to talk a lot about boxing, but this is a good example: the uh, Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao fight that happened over the weekend. One of the most hyped fights ever turned out to be a steaming pile of crap. But you didn't need that much hype for that either, because people have been wanting it for five years, just like this Avengers: Age of Ultron. People have been dying for it for at least two years. Right. So, I mean, why, why the hype machine? I don't understand. Was there anyone on planet Earth and maybe parts of the other, other parts of the galaxy that weren't going to see this movie if Marvel didn't tell us over and over? Right. Well, I think that here's the thing, though. I want to bring back your point of, that we made about the whole Iron Man 3 and Avengers. Now, we said this on our free comic book day podcast last week. We said, in the end of Iron Man 3, Tony Stark gets the arc reactor taken out of his chest, and he also blows up literally all of his suits because he says, I want to stop being Iron Man and be, you know, dedicated to Pepper and my company. Then the first scene in Avengers, he's in the Iron Man suit, and there's no reason as to why he kind of came back. Now, there's a reason as to why he creates Ultron being his own fear. Right, that made sense. But there's, but there really was no setup of, or there wasn't really any joke or line tying in the end of Iron Man 3, like Captain right. Say. Captain Say, oh, nice to join us again. I thought you gave up the iron suit or something like that, you know, and then have him say something like that. that you know, have Tony say, well, yeah. you know, it's part of me. That's all you need to do. That's as sarcastically do. funny as these Marvel movies are, it would have taken 10 seconds to just wipe all that clean and let us know why it's happening. I mean, we got, what, like four or five different occurrences of them joking about Captain America not wanting people to use bad language, yeah. but they couldn't have taken literally 30 seconds out of that two-and-a-half-hour movie to kind of round that out and let us know why he's suddenly Iron Man again. And, I mean, we're not stupid. You know Fury kept a Iron Man suit somewhere, I'm sure. So I know I know that they weren't all gone. I'm not, I'm not stupid. But at the same time, it's like, you can't just... Sweep it under the rug here. Now, and and I think you and I talked about this off the air. I don't think we talked about it on the air, though. I was, ta- I was talking to you about how, have you noticed that Ant-Man 
kind of not getting mentioned in any of the Marvel MCU stuff. And I think I told you, I said, I think after Iron Man 3 and the fact that Ant-Man's maybe not the most popular character in the world, I think they're a little gun-shy to kind of include him in the mix for something like this happening. Right, now they did give a a nod to Black Panther with, of course, claws in there and also the vibranium they have in there as well. I mean, you can't not have an Ultron movie and not have Ultron make himself vibranium you know right you, you had to tie that in there you had no choice yeah so i understand the time of black panther and the whole they talked about wakanda and everything else which is great but yeah there hasn't really been any nod to like hank pym at all which is kind of who was weird. the original creator of ultron for those who don't know right um, who didn't read through the comics but here's my other here's my other thing and you've talked a lot about fan service uh when it comes to other other properties and stuff like that Right. How much of this in some of these movies, and especially in an Avengers movie, where I know you need to make references, but are, is it starting to turn into fan service a little bit, mentioning all the all these past movies and, and little jokes here and there and references? Is it starting to get to the point where it's turning into fan service? Because some it's not always necessary. You know what I'm saying? I, I see it as this. With all the jokes and everything else, certain things, okay, I picture it as, okay, take an, take an art film, for example. Okay, you've ever, seen, you ever gone to a theater, James, and watched like an art movie, yeah. like an art house film? Okay. When people go to see like an art house film that's based on like theater or something like that, or it's very indie-ish kind of thing, there are people who are like, out of the loop when it comes to certain jokes. But then you have those snobby people who are like, oh, that's so funny, and they're mm-hmm. laughing. It's like you're sitting there, I don't understand what was just said. Those damn Lannisters. Yeah, yes, but the thing is, it's gonna. I think it's going to start getting to that with Marvel movies because you're going to have to see all these movies to get the jokes and get the quips, and you're going to have these room full of people laughing, and then you're going to people saying, um, I don't get it. And that's gonna, that was going to be my next point, actually. We've talked a lot about, many, many times, about how it's hard to jump into a comic run late in the run. You were talking about that with Wonder Woman and several others. You just happened to find a nice jumping in point. So we're getting kind of deep into the MCU here. Is it, is it going to be like the comics where it's going to be hard to jump in late in the run for maybe those new nerds that are just starting to discover this or even the younger uh, kids that are finally starting be able to watch these movies because let's face it eight movies at two and a half hours a piece that's a lot of content for people with busy lives you know yeah i mean i don't understand how people who can learn to i don't understand when the people who go to a theater like literally watch entire phase of marvel movies for which an entire be, day which would be fun but at the same time holy hell how it's, are you able to do that it's kind of like saying i just can just skip a day it's pretty much just like you're just skipping a day pretty much and that's a lot you'd of have sitting. to skip two days because i mean you're talking 16 hours you know, most of us are, you know, in bed after 16 hours of doing anything. So, I mean, you're pretty much skipping a couple days of work there if you're going to do that. I don't know how they do it either. Yeah, I think, now here's the thing is, you know, you have all this content and you have all these movies and everything else. And you mentioned, you know, the jumping off point for comics. We're getting to that point, I think, because we're past Iron Man, really. We're, we're, we're getting past Captain America and everybody passed the torch to Falcon in the comics to be Captain America. Mm-hmm. We're getting to that point of Doctor Strange and Black Panther and these D-list. I'm sorry, they're they're, they're D-list right. characters really in the comic world. And really, are you excited to jump into a Doctor Strange comic? 
are you excited to jump into? Uh, not I would say Captain Marvel because Captain Marvel does have a really good following now, but an Ant Man, for example, or something like that. You know, I think Black Panther. Even I would even go there because I mean we were talking about this when uh, MCU was making their huge announcement of all the films, and we're watching all the people on the chat just basically lose their shit over a Black Panther movie and Doctor Strange, and you and I are sitting there like, really? Well, Black Panther, I can understand. Doctor Strange, I'm okay on. Uh, but when they did the whole Inhumans thing, people, like I said, we talked about this before, and people lost their proverbial shit over Inhumans. I'm like, really? Like, name, yeah. me, one, name me one Inhuman that's not Medusa or Black Bolt. Name yeah, me if one. If you can go past Black Bolt, I'll understand. But if you can't, come on now. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's They're definitely entering into risky territory. But, I mean, I think, you know, now that they've got the whole Spider-Man thing that they can use, that kind of you know, evens that out a little bit, but I will say something that people aren't going to think that I would have ever admitted. Um, the way DC is going to be doing their cinematic universe, it's kind of proving Marvel's point about their whole, well, they only, they usually only have interesting villains. They've got Superman, they've got Batman, they've got Wonder Woman. And after that, it's like, you know, it's a toss up. They're kind of proving their point with the way that they're doing their cinematic universe. But at the same time, is that necessarily the wrong way to do it? You want to come out with your heavy hitters. You want to come out with your Superman. You want to come out with your Batman. Come out with your Wonder Woman. And then you kind of use them as the crutch to introduce an Aquaman or a Cyborg and stuff like that. I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. Well, here's the thing. I, you look at a movie like Suicide Squad, for example, which is going to be, I think, I don't know if it's, I think it's coming out after Batman vs. Superman, I believe. I'm not sure. Um, but it looks, I'm really like Suicide Squad, which of course is all villains. That I think is going to present a good counterpoint in a sense because yeah, while you people are saying okay, you got Wonder Woman, you, you know, you got Batman, and Superman, and possibly Cyborg in uh, Batman, I want to say Avengers, Batman versus Superman. You know, it's a nice counterpoint because you're having all these heroes in one film, so why not have all these villains in another film? So it's going to be kind of a nice setting off point. I think though. With DC, yes, Marvel has a huge variety of heroes that are known and villains and stuff like that. But you look at DC and you say, well, yeah, it's the main Justice League and then nobody else. That's in a sense, it's really all they need, I think. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Because that you... way because DC, here's the thing. It shows, I think, more of a credit to DC, because DC has done a lot more with less heroes. Then Marvel really is starting to do because Marvel's kind of scraping the right. bottom. They're getting close to scraping that bottom now with a vaster variety of heroes. But DC says, "Look, okay, we have these five or six key heroes. Look at what we've done. Look what we've done with animated films. Look what exactly. we've done with our television universe. I mean, it's it's fantastic, and it shows more credit to DC. You know, to do more with little in a sense, you know. And here's the deal. I mean, you know how much how how much of a DC guy that I am. I love DC and characters like uh, Martian Manhunter and uh, Doctor Fate and yeah. and you know Zatanna and stuff like that. But I- I'm gonna be honest. Do I need a Martian Manhunter movie? I no. kind of don't. I mean, if you want to throw him in at some point down the line and make him a minor character in another film, uh, that might be cool to see. But need a Martian Manhunter film and I kind of liken that to a Doctor Strange and I'm not saying I'm not going to go see Doctor Doctor Strange I am and I'm probably going to enjoy it but I mean do you need it? I don't think you necessarily do 
Martian Manhunter, I see DC doing this with Martian Manhunter. I see DC doing with Martian Manhunter what Avengers is doing with the Vision. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, I know people are kind of doing I, the whole... I, I see Martian Manhunter as the Vision for DC in a sense. It's funny because people were... I was, I was reading some articles that said, you know, now that Marvel's done Ultron, should DC not do Brainiac? And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. They're different. And do you read both? I mean, because they're very different characters. I mean, so the end game is the same for pretty much any villain. Well, I think we like, can agree with that. But well it's, like, well, it's like saying, I guess Marvel shouldn't use Iron Man because Batman's been around longer, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, I know that they're similar in their pre- presentation, but it, they're very different characters. So I don't right. get that at all. I want to bring up your Dr. Fate thing, too, because Constantine, the writers tweeted out, that season two, if it does get picked up, they're going to introduce Dr. Fate. Which I'm stoked about. I think that's how you do it. You don't necessarily give Dr. Fate his own movie. You give Dr. Fate a spot on a show with a, let's face it, more recognizable character in John Constantine. And I like what DC's doing with Machinima. They're going to do a Starman series on there now. They're going to do Dial H for Hero now. They're taking lesser properties and they're saying, okay, it's almost like they're putting all their characters in a nice little pile and saying, okay... This pile's for cinematic universe. This pile here is going to be for our TV universe. And then this pile over here, if we're lucky enough, we'll put that on like a web series. That way, everybody's got access to all the stuff that they want. And they can choose what they want to watch and what they don't want to watch. It's kind of like, I, I like that analogy. Because you look at Marvel. Marvel probably says, okay, we're going to throw everything and make it all one. Picture, if you will, a giant bucket of Legos, Okay. Like, remember when we were kids, you had those giant buckets with the lids on top of just like a thousand plus pieces of There's Legos? There's a guy in Seattle with a huge man cave that's filled with like 250,000 Legos and 150-something tubs. I just saw it on the news the other day. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you never want to walk barefoot in that thing, though. No, never. Never. But it's like, okay, with Marvel, you're pretty much taking that huge bucket and dumping it out. And you're saying, okay, I need to build a car, for example. So you got, you know, you're scrounging around a thousand plus pieces of stuff, you find a few wheels, you find some blocks, but then you're like, I need to find a windshield or something like that. And you're digging, you're digging, you're digging. That's a long thing to dig for. That's deep and it gets confusing and you get pissed. You say, fuck it. I'm just going to make four blocks, put them together, make a fucking like hole in the side of the car pretty much for a window. And not to mention, somebody's going to get lost in the shuffle eventually. Yeah. Now, and I want to bring up your point that you made, uh, that you're talking about. You said, you know, at the end of Age of Ultron, they kind of set up where they're going to go in the future, you know, once Cap's gone and once uh, Iron Man's going to be gone and possibly Banner based on the uh, the end of Age of Ultron as well. So, and then they show you, okay, here's kind of what the newer Avengers are going to look like going forward. And that's fine. But then, uh, but then also now you're talking about, okay, now a few of your big characters are gone. So now you want these guys that you tried to build up in other films to kind of carry the torch here? Well, here's the thing. This is going to be spoiler territory right now. So at the end of Age of Ultron, the new somewhat team of Avengers gets put together by Black Widow and Cap and they're pretty much training them. And they com- they're composed of Scarlet Witch, uh, Falcon, and then who else was it? Well, Black Widow and Cap would be in there. Vision yeah. was in there. Vision, yeah, and Vision. And when I saw Falcon... I immediately, in my head, said, oh, my God, Cap's going to die or something's going to happen where Evans doesn't come back and they're going to make Cap or Falcon Captain America. 
Well, we can't forget about Bucky now. Can't True. forget about the Winter Soldier. We don't know what's going to happen with that later on down the line because he could still take up the mantle, and that would create an interesting dynamic. And here's the forward. thing. And here's the thing, though. I know he says Sebastian Stan, who d- plays Bucky in Winter Soldier, has like a nine picture deal. But look at this. Look at you, know, you can say, well, he has a nine picture deal. He says before and how they're going to use him. But the thing is, you look at somebody like Mark Ruffalo, who has a multiple picture deal for Hulk. And they don't have the rights to distribute Hulk because those are universal. Yeah, that makes so a lot really, of sense. you can sign an X amount picture deal. Doesn't mean, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't. Right. Mean, doesn't mean they're actually going to use you for that many. That's a that's a great point. Just because you got a nine picture deal doesn't mean that you're going to be in nine pictures. And those appearances could count. I mean, we could see. Uh, I'm not. I don't know anything about what's going to happen in the finale of Agents of Shield, but I'm just using it as an example. We could see a shot of Bucky randomly, Sebastian Stan randomly showing up at the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as like a, oh my god, they found him kind of thing on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's an appearance. That would count. Now here's the thing. Do you think that where DC benefits, and Marvel doesn't, is that DC has the rights to all their characters through Warner Brothers, where Marvel, they can't use X-Men because that's through Fox, and they just, they're borrowing Spider-Man. So do you think that that's probably going to help DC going forward with the films. So I guess a lot of people are doubting DC. I was actually talking to people last night at the Star Wars party about the DC Cinematic Universe, and uh, somebody I was talking to said, oh, well, I don't like the DC Universe because this, this, and this, and it's just they're throwing everybody together in one thing. I'm like, yeah, but Marvel kind of did that too with certain people as well. I mean, granted, they didn't throw all their heavy hitters in one film prior to Avengers, but it's just like, People aren't giving it a chance, and it's kind of yeah. upsetting me. Yeah. Because, you know, as much as we said we didn't really care for the, the Batman vs. Superman trailer, or wasn't really, it was more mad, really. And as much as I said I didn't really like Man of Steel, but the thing was, I brought it up to them, I said, what's smart is you watch into Man of Steel, and at first I said, I was one of those people who said, really, fuck this ending, how can they do this? But then I said, you look at Batman vs. Superman and how they're pitting Batman, you're using that that ending of Man of Steel to pit Batman versus against Superman. It's so smart how DC is doing it. And all three of them, you know, were like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And they saw my point. So it's one of those things where do you think that DC is maybe has a little bit of a, an edge because they have the rights to all their characters, whereas Marvel doesn't. I think that it's kind of a double-edged sword. I think that that is a huge point. I also think that Warner Brothers is a little bit easier to deal with and it's going to give DC a little bit more creative freedom to do what they want to do with their characters too. But at the same time, nobody can deny that Marvel having Disney's money to throw around is Mm -hmm. a huge advantage. Let's turn the tables. Let's say Marvel was owned by Warner Brothers and DC was owned by Disney and put it the other way around. Right. Then Marvel would be the ones maybe not being able to make Doctor Strange and Black Panther and stuff like that because Warner Brothers is going to go, I don't know if we want to take the risk on that. Whereas Disney, who owns 90% of the planet at this point, will go, you know what? An animal and a, a Beast Boy movie? Why the hell not? Let's do that. Pretty soon, Disney's just going to buy all of Earth, and it's, gonna be, it's not going to be called Planet Earth. It's going to be called Disney's Earth. That's it. Yeah, there was some article about uh, movie theaters were pissy with uh, with Disney over some of the distribution for Age of Ultron, how they were not going to let them do certain things going forward with uh, Age of Ultron. And I thought, what, at what point does Disney just buy all the movie theaters? Pretty much. And then that way they can do whatever the hell they want. Pretty much. And, you know, here's the one thing that I think will, in a sense, because like I said, 
keep Marvel a little bit ahead of DC in terms of movies, they have Kevin Feige. DC doesn't really have a Kevin Feige. Now, there was that story about the guy who was like pretty much revived the X-Men franchise, how he went over to, I believe, take over the head of DC's movie universe and be their Kevin Feige. But here's the thing. Then you had that other story that came out like last week or something about how they really they don't know who is the head of the DC right. universe. Where right. some people say it's the guy that took over for you know to be the head and he left X Men. Some people are saying it's uh, Zack Snyder. God, I hope it's not Zack Snyder. But you know, but saying, well, he has these other movies he's doing, so he's busy with these. So how can he overlook these? Pretty much, they're saying. The directors are in charge of the entire universe, in a sense. I don't necessarily mind that. Right. And here's why. Because it gives you the freedom to creatively do what you want with the character that you're kind of assigned. Think about it. When you when you were in college or re- even in high school and you had that big group project to do, Right. you kind of assigned everybody a task. Okay, you go do this, you do this, you do this, and then we'll come together and we'll put everything together in one neat little package. That can work. I'm not saying it's going to, but it certainly can. Whereas with Marvel, you've got one guy, or a couple of people, not necessarily one guy, who's kind of the overseer. So when Edgar Wright or somebody comes over with, I got this great idea for Ant-Man, and then people go, eh, no, that doesn't really fit with what we're doing. You're not going to do that. And he's going to say, okay, I'm going to take my ball, and I'm going to go home. Well, look at, uh, what's her name? I left Wonder Woman because of the creative differences. And... They and and uh, because they want she wanted her to have a talking tiger friend. Yeah. <laughs> and well, there's a difference between creativity and batshit crazy, and that was kind of batshit crazy. At yeah. least At least I get that. But I mean, it's it's tough because it works both ways. And I and I and I know that the Marvel formula has worked very well, and I think it'll still do well going forward. I just wonder if at some point with some of their properties, properties of this whole, it's all connected things going to end up biting them in the ass in the, in the long run. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, the more I, I think about, it, like I said, you know, it's kind of funny because it's kind of the progression of my attitude. Like, like we did the pre-show last week uh, for free comic day. I was so excited. Like, Oh my God, Ultron is like the best As thing ever. Was, I was very excited to see it. I hadn't even seen it yet. And then we do a free comic day. And I'm like, you know, there's this, this and this. And I was sitting here. I'm like, it was good. But it wasn't nah. top five good. It, no, it was top five good. But like I said, it was as you and I said on Free Comic Book Day, it was barely on the cusp of number five. Yeah, slash it's number right four. there. It's one of those things where it's an Avengers movie. So automatically, I think in your head and in my head, we're thinking this is going to be a top two Marvel movie just right. because it's Avengers. And the first Avengers movie was so good. Right. And this one was good, too. And I don't want people to misunderstand that I really enjoyed it. I loved it. And I will watch it again for sure and enjoy it. I'm just saying it wasn't this, you know, masterpiece of perfection that I think we kind of hoped it would have been. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, we'll see, you know, it's kind of, I want to see how Batman vs. Superman is and, and what people's take is going to be from that. And, yeah, like I said, we know Wonder Woman's going to be in it. I think she's going to have a, a, a. I think the fact is a Wonder Woman and Batman vs Superman is going to have a key part in it because yeah. why else would you release a photo of her in costume? Right. I think she will have a bigger role than any of the rest of the Justice League characters in that movie. I think we may maybe we'll get five minutes total of Flash, Cyborg, 
Aquaman and Green Lantern. I think that we'll see glimpses of them, maybe in like a news footage type deal. I think that's all we're going to get. It's not going to be uh, similar to like uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, where they actually played pivotal roles in uh, Age of Ultron. It's not going to be anything like that. It's going to be a, by the way, they exist, and we'll see them at some point, but not right now. Okay, so before we end the show, I want to give up this scenario, James. So we're both heads of whatever this company. You know, you could be the head of Warner Brothers or whomever, right? It doesn't matter what you are. Somebody comes to you with these two proposals of universes to create. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to go, let's connect everything a la Marvel? Or do you, are you going to go with the other of like, you know, let's keep TV and movies separate? However... You know, here's another point B. Will you have an Endgame film if you're the head of a studio? Like, will you have uh, a Justice League film or will you have something like that? Or will you just have, like, the Christopher Nolan thing where your hero is in their own universe and that's it? Here's why I do what DC's doing. And I'm, this is not just because I'm a DC guy, I promise you that. Because this is what, this is what DC's going to have the opportunity to do at some point down the line. 10, 15, 20 years from now, if they can keep both properties successful, or at least moderately successful, they can do a crisis film or a couple of crisis films where you take your TV universe and your movie universe and we find out that they were Earth 1 and Earth 2 kind of thing, slam them together and do a giant War of the Worlds type movie. And quite frankly, the way Marvel's connecting everything, they can't really do a Secret Wars. Right. Not well. I mean, they can, but not the way that DC would be able to, because they'll have had that ten-year build-up to be able to do that. Right. Uh, if for me, I would do. I would have to do a little bit of both here and there. For example, I would have my Endgame film. I but I would do what Marvel's doing, where all the movies are connected, like you know, and there's always those stingers that and you know, stuff like that building forward and whatever. I would do that as far as a movie thing. As far as a TV thing, I would have to go DC route. However, I would, like I said, keep the two separate. But I would use lesser-known characters to fill my TV duties. For example... So basically, you'd put Doctor Strange on TV. I'd put Doctor Strange on TV. I'd probably... Well, Black Panther would have to be a movie only because of... Ultra, if you're doing an Ultron theme and you're doing a whole vibranium stuff, you yeah, have to make a movie. Yeah, there's somewhere you have no choice. Yeah. But like Doctor Strange, yeah, Doctor Strange, I would make a TV show. Ant-Man, I would literally make Ant-Man a TV show. I see that working better on TV, actually. Fantastic Four, I'd make Fantastic Four a television show. You know, But as far as cer- certain properties, now if it came to the point where you do have to combine them, I would do what you do and make the one film, like a Secret Wars, where I would have to combine all of that into one film. But, yeah, I would say, okay, let's say our top characters, give them films, and then, you know what, like X-Men, for example. We can, there's certain shows you can do. You can have a movie universe. Oh, there's a ton of possibilities there. So, like, you can be like, okay, let's have the X-Men movie series going, but you know what, let's have kind of a Weapon X TV show kind of thing. You could even do an Xavier Academy show. Yeah, I mean that would be really easy to do. So I yeah I could see I could see the benefits of so doing that as well. It, it would be like this. It would be not really connected. Like TV wouldn't be connected at all. But it would be kind of like actually no, TV would be connected. You know, they would both be connected, but not you know TV and movies until right. the final film. 
And that way you can have, like I said, the, the Savior Academy and everything else. And I think we kind of have a similar idea, but yeah. we're going about it in different ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I would do. I mean, it's, it's simple. It's, it's like that. You know, we say it's simple, but it's just, you think about piecing together, like how could you do it? And, you know, like I said, if you have these descendants, like you have the X-Men movie and you have the, the Xavier Academy show, they're not going to be one and the same. You know, they're not right. going to acknowledge one another. Right, it's just exactly. they're totally separate in a sense. Even though X-Men takes place at Xavier Academy, it's still it's separate. You know what I'm saying? It would be like prior or whatever, like years in the future of Xavier school happening. Or maybe it would be the Jean Grey school then. You know, who knows? Um, but, I mean, that's what I would do. You know, I mean, final question going forward, what are your hopes for other companies like Valiant Student their uh, universe and you, know, you have IDW and everything else? What would your kind of plea, if not inspirational words of wisdom to smaller companies doing their own MCUs or, C- or cinematic universes, I should say, what would your, your words be to them? It'd be very simple. Do your own thing. Don't look at what Marvel's doing. Don't look at what DC's doing. You have to be your own entity. You can never defeat someone by being exactly who they are. You take the bits and pieces of what you like from from each and do your own thing with it. Because if you follow a similar model, even albeit a successful model, you're running the risk of having the A, copycat thing, and B, not succeeding because you're not being true to your own property. Yes, and I agree with you as well on that point, James. That's going to do it for episode 60. Yes, we've reached the milestone of 60 episodes. So, again, thank you to everybody who's been listening since the beginning. Again, I want to thank Bob or Fantasyscape Comics and Cards for having us out at the Free Comic Book Day last week. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook. Stay connected with us. We love hearing from you. Facebook.com slash DownNerdy. Also on Twitter at DownNerdy757. I'm on Twitter at Merkle One Arm. James. I'm at James Ace Witham. And don't forget, we're at Tidewater Comic Con as well, May 16th and 17th. 17th. That's a week from to, that's a week from today, actually. Yeah. So come see us on Saturday and Sunday. We're going to be at booth 407 right next to Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach, as a matter of fact. Email us your fan questions, too. We'll cover those on, at the live show at downandnerdypodcast at gmail.com. Exactly. And as always, I'll leave you with this, nerds. Pretty safe comic book reading, always bag and board your comics.